Today we're looking at the love of Christ. We're still looking at heart attack coming out of Matthew chapter 5, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And today as we look at this, um, you know, we've walked through what Jesus says. He says, you've heard it said all through every one of these sermons that I preached over the last five, six weeks. He's preached about, you've heard it said. Now, in this, we're going to be talking about what love is, what it means to love your neighbor. And from Barclay, Barclay wrote this. In the, in the original language, when much of this was written in the New Testament, it was written in Greek. And Greek is a language which is rich with synonyms. Its words often have shades of meaning which English does not possess. And in Greek, there are four different words for love. One is storge, and these words are characteristics of a, of a family-type love, storge. And then there is eros, which is the love a man has for a woman. And, that this, and it says, uh, in these words, there's nothing essentially bad. There's nothing bad in this word. They simply describe the passion of human love. But as time went on, they began to be tinged with the idea of lust rather than love. And they never occur in this way in the New Testament at all. This word. And this word, uh, philia, which is where we get Philadelphia. It means a brotherly love, a real love or a real affection. But this that Christ is talking about today, when he speaks to them in the Sermon on the Mount, this word is agape. And it is in, it, it, these words indicate unconquerable benevolence, invincible goodwill. And if we, re, if we regard a person with agape, it means that no matter what the person does to us, no matter how he or she treats us, no matter he or, how he or she insults us or injures us or grieves us, we will never allow any bitterness against him or her to invade our hearts. But we'll regard him or her with that unconquerable benevolence and goodwill which will seek nothing but his or her higher good. And from these certain things, we have the rest of this text. So when we read this, when we read about this love, this is a love that is very challenging for humans to express. It is an unconquerable benevolent love. That is, that is a very much a Christ-type love. And if we want a Christ-type love, we've got, to have a, we've got to have Christ residing within our lives through the Holy Spirit. So today as we look at this, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 43 through 48. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. If you, have your, if you have your copy of God's Word, you read along with me. Scripture will be on the screen. Jesus spoke to those there and said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven 
is perfect. As I said, we are here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. And we are looking at this topic of love. It is repeated over and over again through the text that we're looking at today. I've said this each and every week. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. This was common understanding. This was a common understanding of the people there. That you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now hold up. Now we know that we should love our neighbor. Jesus gave us this command. He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? That's what Christ said in the New Testament. Jesus said that. Now, but he says here that you know it's been said like this. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, where does that come from, that hate your enemy? Nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you find that. That was a common misunderstanding that they had come to agree with and hold to. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18 is, is where we kind of get this idea, but this is not what the Scripture says. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Now, does that, you shouldn't hate them, okay? You might need to call them unto a change, but that doesn't mean you hate them. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance. We talked about that last week. Nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So they have heard this. This is not foreign language. This is not something that's like, oh my goodness, I've never heard this before. Brand new thought concept. This is not a new thought concept for the Jewish people that are here. They've heard this. Um, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And as I said in weeks prior and continue to say because Jesus is addressing them, those that are you, you have heard it said, are first the apostles. He had called them unto himself. And then there was those that were disciples that were curious. They weren't quite the apostles. But they were curious. There were those that were curious that were of the Jewish religion. And then there was the Pharisees who were always trying to trap Jesus. Who came up on the hillside and were listening as well. There was a broad spectrum of level of religiosity, if that's even a word, uh, present on the hillside. They were all there to hear what Christ, Jesus, had to say. I mean, his popularity was growing. He was an influencer, if you will, and people were wanting to know what is he influencing them toward. And it was not just, it wasn't a straight rebellion, it was a change of heart. And he's trying to call them to understand in your heart, you're not supposed to hate people. And he says to hate your enemy. And in verse 47, he says not to hate your enemy. Verse 44, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies. How many of you have ever loved your enemy? Uh, don't show hands, okay? I'm just, I'm just asking a rhetorical question. You know, it's difficult. You know, for us today, we really don't have enemies per se, unless you're in the military. We've honored our veterans today. Uh, and then you go into war and you have enemies. In war, they're trying to take your life. You're trying to uh, secure yours or freedom for someone else. And, and so there is an enemy on the battlefield. 
Our enemy is not in flesh and blood. It's against spirituality. It's against the principalities of darkness. That's who our enemies are. When we start seeing people that look like us as our enemy, we have stepped beyond the place of really the battle and gone into a judgment. We've got to understand that our enemy is Satan. And he is the one who is, who is messing with people's minds, messing with our culture. He, you and I are not enemies. Obviously, we should not be. We're in the same church, worshiping the same God. So we obviously should be on the same team. But there are enemies. There are spiritual enemies out there that we must be aware of. We must be in the Word of God to know how to fight off and defend what we have against them. But he says, I say to you, love your enemies. Now, there were, there were literal enemies at that time. We know there was persecution running rampant all during that time. And it was going to come. As we study, as you look in the book of Acts, you see the persecution that, were, that was to come to those newfound believers, new churches, in the new way, the new followers of the way, which became known as Christianity. But I say to you, love your enemies. And, and why should we do this? Because Jesus has done this for us. Look at this. Jesus says, I know you've heard, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you to love your enemies. There are four things that Jesus calls us to do. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now I want to tell you, in our heart of hearts, in our sinful nature, and in who we are, we don't really want to do that. Can I just be honest with you? We don't. You want to see, man, if somebody's doing something evil to you, they're your enemy. If, if they're cursing you, if they're hating you. And most of us, we may not have experienced things to that extreme. But I'm sure you've had somebody spitefully use you at some point in your life. They've used you for their gain and your loss. You've seen it. Most people in this world today have experienced something of that nature. But the Lord says to pray for them. The Lord says to pray for them. He says, first, love your enemies. Now, how can Christ call us to do something? As a leader, I like to say, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Jesus does the same thing. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says this. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Love your enemies. Nobody has evidenced or demonstrated this type of love than Christ has. Christ is the epitome and the example and the model of loving your enemies. We are enemies of Christ apart from him prior to salvation we are working our way not his way we are working our will not his will we are enemies of the will of god apart from jesus christ christ does not call us to do something he's not already done he says i say to you love your enemies in colossians 121 paul writes to the church at colossians and he says and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. We have been enemies of Christ. And Jesus says, 
be like me. What is the last line that I read to you? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Every single one of these things that I have preached over the past several weeks is for the goal and the ultimate purpose for us to be like Him. And for us to be like Him, it can't just be in our in how we flesh it out. It has to be in how we heart it up, if you will. Where it comes from, internally. There's a lot of people who could do things. People say, well, they're charitable. They're real charitable people. But why are they charitable? Why are they charitable? Well, it's so they can get a tax break. Let's just be honest. Why, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but why do so many millionaires and billionaires, they give to large charities? Because they know they get a tax break. And they're going to get taxed like crazy if they don't give. But where are they in service for the Lord? Where are they truly in service for the good of mankind? Nowhere to be seen. Now listen, I'm not telling you that there's not rich people that have a good heart of gold that loves Jesus Christ, because that's not fair. But I'm just telling you there are those. And us as well, that we've given, and there are those who have given because they know they need to do this, or else something can get drove. But they don't really evaluate it, and they don't fully see it through so they're not really giving as they need to give we need to give we need to understand the value of investing because it comes from the heart i'm talking about the heart and why we give why we do why we act and if we're going to be like christ why did christ come to this earth it wasn't because he was lacking anything was it no in heaven he was lacking nothing he had he had the praise of anybody and everybody who made it to heaven the angels glorified him around the throne. But what did Jesus do? The Bible tells us he became poor for our sakes. For enemies who were far from him. Who were alienated in their mind by their wicked works as Paul wrote in Colossians. Yet he reconciled us. He has reconciled us. He has loved his enemy. Look at that. It says number two. I say number two. He's, he, he asks of us. He tells us. He commands us to love our enemies. To bless those who curse us. Just as you and I are creating the image of God, so are those who are enemies. Those who are, are, are those who make curses on people. Those who hate people. Those who spitefully use people. They're all created in the image of God. They need salvation. And I say they, that's us. We all fit into this category somewhere of what we have done Prior to being redeemed and reconciled to Christ, we were enemies. We cursed, we cursed God. We hated God. We spitefully used God. We persecuted God. That's us. We put him on the cross. Now, you may go to the Bible and say, well, the Romans right here put him on the cross. Well, yeah, they physically did it. But it's our sin that put him on the cross. And Christ said, I'm going to love them. I'm going to bless them. And what he's done, he's blessed us with an eternal home with him for eternity. He's blessed us. He's done good for us. He puts you in a church family such as this so that you may benefit and be blessed. Have someone to love you and to hold you accountable and to, and to pray for you. That's the reason why we're here. 
We do good for those who hate us. We pray for those. We pray for one another. This is what God's called us to. Jesus has done all these things. And also, as you look at this, it says, love your enemies. That's from the heart. Bless those who persecute you. That's a, that's a verbal thing. Now, sometimes that can be a physical thing. You bless someone physically, but you bless them verbally. We need to be people that are vocally encouraging and blessing others. Listen, I, I heard this said, and I try to do it. I don't always do it. But if you ever think of something good or positive to say to somebody, don't hold it back. Say it. God's put that on your heart for the need of that someone else. You don't know what they need right at that moment. But if God says, this is something good about them, say it. Say it. Don't say, I don't know how they'll respond. Who cares how they'll respond? <laughs> Quit being a sissy about it. Say, step up in faith and say something positive. Bless them. Bless those who curse you. The Bible also goes on to say that if, if you'll do stuff like that, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. Not that you want them to have burning coals on their head, but the point is, is that you're trying to get them to understand that what you're doing ain't going to get me down. My Lord has already lifted me up. He's picked me up out of, the, out of the miry clay and set me on a solid rock. He's taken me out of darkness and moved me into the marvelous light. Why should I be hateful to you? I've got all the joy in the world. So we need to be giving that back to people. No matter what they say to us, water it off a duck's back. You say what you want to say. I know what my Lord said of me. I'm his. I'm a child of God. I'm redeemed. I've got eternity before me. Hell is behind me. I ain't never going to look at it again. So why should I speak negative or speak curses or, or be spitefully used people? Bless people with what you got. And if you're in a household, you got people all around you a lot of times. You can bless them. Bless those people. Do good to those who hate you. Again, that kind of bundles together. That's kind of the action where the bless is the vocal. The do good is the action. And then pray for those. That's vocal to God. I've always heard it said, before you bring God up to anybody, bring them up to God. Before you bring God up to somebody, you bring them up to God. Pray for them. Pray for them. God may open that door, soften that heart. And turn them toward him if you'll lift their name up to him first before you lift God's name up to them. That doesn't mean that you just need to squish every chance that God gives you to speak about Jesus Christ. But what it does mean is if God puts somebody on your heart, just like I said about speaking something positive, speak it to the Lord. And then let the Lord speak to you and then speak to them. You do that. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And why is that? That word, verse 45, the purpose of these actions that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That he makes, okay, okay, let's stop right there for a minute. The first line of verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, listen, doing these actions doesn't make you a child of God. You are a child of God, and from being a child of God, the fruit of that are these actions. Because trust me, without Christ, you ain't loving an enemy, right? Oh, you're going you gonna to hate them. Without Christ, you're not going to bless those who curse you. You're going to curse them back. You're going to use foul language. You're going to use whatever you're going to want to use. You're going to use whatever the devil brings up in that sin-filled, sin-nature heart. And you're going to say it right back to him. You're going to fight fair. I told you about fighting unfair last week. You're going to fight unfair. 
If, you've got, if you don't have Christ in your life, you're not going to do good to, to those that hate you. You're going to plot and scheme, and you're going to figure out how to get back at somebody. And those who spitefully use you, you're going to figure out how to do the same thing to them. You're going to figure out how to do that as well. But listen, it says there in verse 45, I say it, Jesus Christ says there in verse 45, you do those things that you may be sons, not children, but sons. That means there's a maturity going on. And when you're put in situations such as that where you've got to make those choices to react I've said this many a times. I've said it to my students for years. There's a lot of people who act like Christians, but there's not a lot who react like Christians. And this is all about reaction because reaction comes from the heart. Because in an emotional moment's response, you're going to do what's in your heart. You're going to do what's in your heart. You're going to say what's in your heart because from the overflow of the mouth, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That you may be sons of your fathers in heaven. Uh, sons of your father in heaven. You're maturing. And when you make choices like this, it's going to be a revelation. I'm maturing in my faith. And you give glory to God. Not to yourself, because that's part of maturity too. <laughs> Not giving yourself a pat on the back. There used to be a wrestler who would do this right here. I used to watch a lot of wrestling when I was a kid. But you don't pat yourself on the back. You'd say, thank you, Lord. God be the glory. I can't believe I didn't just say what really because it might be in your mind. What's in your mind ain't always a sin. Okay? The devil wants to bring things up in your mind. What's in your mind ain't always a sin. Remember, take every thought captive. You know? What you do with it, once it gets there, that's when you got to deal with it. But you take that thought captive and you don't say it. You bless them. You, you pray for them. You do good to them. You love them. And you do these things. You say, to God be the glory. Great things you have done in my life. Great things you're doing so that I'm not doing bad things so that I'm not doing things that dishonor your name because I've called on you as Lord and, that, and I, I walk out of here and I walk out of here with Jesus Christ if I was wearing a jersey it wouldn't say Alabama, Auburn, UAB whatever it may be that's not what's on the front of my spiritual jersey it's Christian, it's Jesus Christ and when I go out people don't see that people need to see Jesus Christ on me before they see any of those other things, they need to see Jesus Christ. So when I go out and that I may be a son of my Father in heaven, I've got to choose to do these things. If not, whoever's on that front of that jersey, whoever that is, is going to be uh, recognized as the reason why I do what I do. And this is the reason why, too. Two things that God does to and for everyone. This is God's common grace. God's common grace. He says, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He makes it to rise. He brings another day up even for the evil person in that common grace. He blesses him with another day. Why is that? Because the, the God is not slack as some consider slackness, but it is his desire that all repent and come to faith in him. So he allows that sun to rise on that evil one more time. Maybe today is the day they give their life to Christ. Maybe today is the day you've loved them. Maybe the day is the day is the day you bless them when they've cursed you. Maybe the day is the day that you've done good to them, because, and not because they've hated you. You've done good to them despite the fact that they've hated on you. You've prayed for them despite the fact that they've spitefully used you and all that. God's given the sun to rise on them one more day. 
And he's got, God's given you the sun to rise one more day on you, one more day of life for you to have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what that sun rose for today. For them to have another day of grace and for you to have another opportunity to extend grace. And then he says, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So many times we think of rain as a bad thing. But when it's been, uh, the ground's been scorched and it's, and it's, and it's dry and, and, and things are brittle and breaking and, 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 and uh, the, the fruit and, and, and the grains and all that type of stuff is not producing, it needs that rain. Sometimes we need the rain. Sometimes we need it to come. And we need God to pour out on us. He sends, He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends the rain on the just and the unjust. There's times, and, and it might be that unjust person has been saying, God, if you're real, you, you'll, it, it, I, don't, I don't know if you're real, but if you're real, maybe you'll send that rain. It might be a farmer out there saying something like that, and God blesses them and sends that rain. And for some reason, through that instance, they, they uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you may say, that's kind of crazy, but it's, it can happen. I've heard of it happening. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. It has its purpose. I know it's inconvenient a lot of times. You know, you don't want to get out in the rain. You have to cover up your head, get an umbrella, wear extra clothes, all that. It might be inconvenient, but it's a blessing. Because life comes from the rain. If we don't have rain, a lot of times things die. And what he's saying, what the Lord's saying here is that there's good in both of these things. Because you know why they're good? Because God sent them. God sent them. God makes his sun rise. God sends the rain. Both of them are good because all good things come down from the Father of lights. All good things come from him. So we thank him for both those things. We don't get complacent or, or get uh, dissatisfied. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sun. Thank you, Lord. I mean, right right now, the sun beaming through these beautiful stained glass windows. Thank you, Lord, for the sun. Now, it's still going to be cold when you go outside. Don't let that confuse you. But the sun's coming through there, and we can say, thank you, God, for this beautiful sunshine. Yesterday was overcast. It's an ugly day. He sent a little bit of rain yesterday morning, but thank you, Lord, for the rain. But thank you, Lord, for the sunshine. You've given us another day to glorify you. Verse 46, Jesus goes on to say, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So what makes Christians' love different from that of the rest of the world? What makes our love different from the rest of the world? It's because our love is not based upon who they are here on this earth. It's based upon the fact that God has created them in the image of himself. And every soul is going somewhere for eternity. Every single person with breath in their lungs today is going somewhere for eternity. Some people will die twice and live once. Some people will live once and die twice. We will either die a physical death and a spiritual death and be apart from Christ forever. Or we will die once and live two lives. Excuse me, I said that wrong. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll die one time and that's it. Well, actually, we do die twice, honestly, if you think about it. We all die twice. That's right. If you're not born again, you die twice. And see, when I, when I am born again, I die to self. 
It's amazing when you sit up here just for a moment and you think about things that people have said for a while. Because if you don't die to self, you'll never rise in Christ. So you will die twice. Everybody dies twice. But the thing is, is how will you die? Will you die to life or you will you die to death? And he says that we need to be people that live differently, that love differently. And, you know, as we look at this, verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward is that? I mean, that's not a big deal. It's not hard to love somebody who loves you. I mean, if you find that hard, you're having some problems. Okay, you're, you're having some serious problems. You might want to evaluate your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not hard to love those who love you. What, re what reward is that? But do not, even the tax collector. Now listen, you may say tax collectors, that's not a big deal. But most of you have been in church your whole life. So you understand the, the, what this means. Tax collectors were the lowest of low. Matter of fact, because the tax collectors most of the time were Jewish people working for the Romans, taking taxes for their own people. And many a times they would take more taxes than what they were supposed to to help pad their own pockets. If any of y'all have watched The Chosen, which I would recommend it, you see that from the life of Matthew in that, in that, uh, in that little series. But you see that, that these tax collectors, boy, they were, they, were, they were considered the scum of the earth, if I could just put it that way, by, by the Jewish people. They were the scum of the earth. And Jesus says, do not even the tax collectors do the same? Jesus knew the culture. Jesus was not absent from cultural norms. And he says, tax collectors do this. You know, tax collectors speak to tax collectors. Tax collectors love tax collectors. No big deal for them to love one another. But what if you showed love to the tax collector? And then what does Jesus do? He calls the tax collector to be one of his apostles. As a matter of fact, not only does he become one of the apostles, he writes one of the gospels. That's a big deal. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do even... Do not even the tax collectors do so. I mean, he's just really throwing him under the bus. Here's a tax collector. <laughs> You're no better than a tax collector. We, we've got to show a love that is, doesn't make any sense. As Francis Chan wrote a book many years ago called Crazy Love. Great book. And it's a challenge on our life is how we love people. To love people as Christ has loved people. To love them. He says, do not even the tax collectors do so. And if you greet them, that's a heartfelt expression of desire for the other person's welfare. That's what it's talking about. This isn't just the shaking of the hand or, or hitting fists because we don't want COVID or anything like that. This is, this is really greeting them, embracing them, telling them, man, you are, you are my confidant, my friend. I want the best for you, investing in them. That's the type of greet this is talking about. And, and Jewish tax, the tax collectors was the most despised profession of a Jew. And he says, do not, they do these things. You, you've got to understand, we've got to be better than that. We've got to be better than that. And then he closes out with this word there in verse 48. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he closes out saying this. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now listen, we know we'll never be perfect, at least this side of heaven. I know we will never be perfect. There is a maturing process for the believer in Jesus Christ. 
That maturing process is sanctification. It's setting ourselves apart from the world through the work of Jesus Christ in our life and in our heart through his guiding. Sanctification comes through being in the word of God. It's not just being in church. It's not just being on a church pew. Being uh, sanctified is being in the word of God, studying it so that it changes you so that you may change the world. The purpose of sanctification is for your holiness, God's glory, and his kingdom to grow. And if we will be in the word of God, we will see a change. But we are more in other things. And I say we because I include myself in this. We involve ourselves in so many other things but the word of God. Oh, I don't have time for the word of God. But you got time to scroll Facebook. You got time to scroll Instagram. You got time to scroll TikTok. You got time to... Do all these other things to go on a trip and all these other kind of things. You got, you got time for that, but you ain't got time to read the Word of God. I would say your passion for the Lord is lacking. Blake Prater. If we love the Lord like we proclaim to, this world would not be as it is. But we come here and we think that this 30 minutes of preaching is going to suffice for the week. Wrong. Your heart has got to be turned toward Christ every single day. Little bit by little bit. Every little inch that you love your enemy a little bit more. Every inch where you pray for those that spitefully use you a little bit more. The, the, the more you bless those who curse you a little bit more, you're turning more toward Christ and turning less toward yourself. We are our greatest God and our greatest enemy in that because our God is weak and shallow and selfish. But our Father God is greater, stronger, and ready to do whatever it takes for us to be more like Him. He wants us to be perfect. And if we're going to be perfect, which we're not going to be on this side of heaven, but the goal is not to give up and fall down in despair, nor is it to, to do good and have pride go up in our lives and say, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But Nor is it that you're so terrible you can't do anything right. Well, God's good, but we should be living for Christ not falling in despair because Christ is our hope. But we need to be constantly going to the word of God and being built up in him. Not in what we've done or what we can do or should do, but being built up in him. And in all of this, through this, these disciples, these apostles, all these on this hillside, if they truly watched the life of Christ, they saw how to be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. For us, Christ attacks our heart. And he does this and he sees this and he says, You, therefore, when you do these things, when you love your enemy, when you bless those who curse you, when you do good to those who hate you, when you pray for those who spitefully use you, persecute you, when you do that, when you, when you love those um, who don't love you, when you greet those who are not like you, you are being more like me every day, Jesus is saying. It isn't the goal of the Christian life to be more like Christ than we are like we used to be. That's, that's the truth. 
Every day we should be. It, he's not telling you you've got to take a big old long Blake stride to be more like Jesus. It might be that you've got to take a little, little step. Little step here, little step there. Little step here, little step there. One of the pastors I listened to, um, he, he talked about how every day he chose to do one thing different. To, or, or once a week, he chose to do one thing different uh, than he had done before. And after 21 days, they say it becomes a habit. If you do one thing new and you stick with it for 21 days, it'll become a habit. Could, could we... I mean, I've challenged you this year to read through the Bible with the F-260 Bible reading plan. We could become lazy and get behind, and we can get caught back up. I mean, you could play it audibly on your phone through the Version app. You could do all that. Listen, just a few minutes daily in the Word of God. Take a couple of notes. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you're not taking notes, you're failing yourself. You're, 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 you're not helping yourself to grow. And I'm not talking about just when I'm preaching. Because it's all over the place sometimes. It's hard to take notes when you got a, somebody like that. But if you'll get in God's Word and take some notes, it's going to make all the difference in your life. Take some notes. Have, have on one side of the sheet the notes. Have on the other side of the sheet, if you got a little notebook, prayer request. And be a prayer warrior. In February, we're going to start something called Who's Your One? Who's Your One? And I'm going to challenge you, each and every individual, this ain't a family, this is each and every individual, to find that one person that you have a relationship with that doesn't know Christ, to pray for them, to pray earnestly with them, to pray earnestly for and a conversation to share the gospel with them. And prayerfully, God will work and we'll see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And not only will we have four in that baptism, but we'll have it for a whole month. And we'll be baptizing them by going in and going out. I mean, it's going to be something else. I believe God can work like that. But we got to start praying. we got to start sanctifying ourselves from the world and toward Christ. And if we'll do that, our hearts will be right with the Lord. And we'll see a change. We'll see a change in our lives. We'll see a change in our families' lives. We will see a change in our co-workers' lives. Because you're going to pick one person. And I say you're going to pick, you're going to pray for that one person that the Lord will give you the name, and then you're going to pray that the Lord, because like I said, before you, lift, before you bring the Lord to them, you bring them to the Lord in prayer. And that's the hope and the goal, is to see people changed and saved by the grace of God. And I pray that we'll see that. But this is the deal. It's about our hearts. And if we love Jesus, then our hearts... From our hearts, we will see these things start coming, coming true. We'll start seeing God work if we'll surrender our heart and our lives to him.